This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Thank you for your word, Lord, that brings life. Thank you for this opportunity, this thin space in time that is afforded to us as believers every single Resurrection Sunday. You are the way, the truth, and the life. In you, there is life. And so we worship you for that this morning. Thank you for this moment in time. And my prayer, Lord God, is as your word goes out this morning, that so many people are going to be encouraged, that the hopeless will become hopeful, that those who are on the brink of giving up, Father God, would once again find this breath on them that presses them forward and encourages them, Lord, even in these dark times, Jesus, you still are the life and we worship you and praise you. Can someone say, thank you, Jesus, and then you may take your seats. Hallelujah, it's good to be. You guys are quiet this morning. You almost, it almost seems like you were happier when Jesus was being crucified on Friday than he's being resurrected on Sunday. I'm glad he died for me, but I'm glad, I'm more glad that he rose, amen? The Bible says in Romans 4.24 that he was offered up for our sins, but he was raised to life because of our justification. Think about it. If our debt had not yet been paid, Jesus would still be in hell. This means that forgiveness was credited to us because Jesus arose again, and today we bask in the forgiveness, the unconditional forgiveness of the Father. It's good news. Can I just get a bigger amen this morning? Hallelujah. Praise Lord. And in the venues, I'm looking forward to delivering this message this morning, and I pray it's going to encourage you. I want to thank Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev for trusting me with this Resurrection Sunday. And again, like I said, I really hope it ministers to those of you online, in our venues, and in this main auditorium. The title of my message is Close the Gap. Can someone say Close the Gap? Now, that could mean a whole bunch of things, but you'll see in a moment exactly how it relates to my message. Now, you've heard me say this before many times, but I feel on Resurrection Sunday, it's more appropriate than ever. That Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. He died to make dead people alive. Jesus didn't die for you to become a better version of yourself, a less sinful version of yourself. He died for you so that in your death, you could receive Jesus and you could truly begin living. Can someone say, praise the Lord? You see, what this essentially means, folks, is that God wanted to take or wants to take all the areas of your life that are in decay and getting worse, and he wants to make them better, every area of your life. So if you'll buy into and if you'll believe the story of Jesus, just simply believe that he died and rose again for your justification, every single area in your life that has been decayed can be reversed and begin to become better. I mean, if Jesus, think about it, can bring dead people back to life again, how easy would it not be for him to resurrect anything else? If Jesus can raise the dead back to life, he can raise anything. And that's the, I think that's the theme of my message this morning. That anything that we may have given up hope on. I mean, after all, Easter is not just about a resurrection that happened 2,000 years ago and reappeared when we surrendered our lives to him, but also 
every year as we, we as believers, we get to celebrate this Resurrection Sunday. So I want to say, think about this for a second. If Jesus can raise the dead, then surely he can resurrect a dead marriage. I'm just throwing it out there. If Jesus can raise to life again, raise things to life that are dead, he can resurrect a dead marriage. He can raise a dead business again. Now listen to me. This is the privilege afforded each and every one of us on Resurrection Sunday. It's not just an opportunity for those who are dead to become born again. And if you're here for the first time today, we're going to give you that opportunity. But more besides, the Bible says that when Jesus was raised to life again, hundreds of people that have been long since dead got up out of their graves and began to walk around in Jerusalem. There was so much power released on that Resurrection Sunday, and I believe, and I maintain, and will prove from Scripture, that that same power every single Easter is made available to us who believe. If Jesus can raise the dead, then surely he can also resurrect a barren womb. Surely he can help you find a job again. Surely he can help you find love again. Surely he can make you completely whole again. Surely he can bring your kids back home. Not mine, mine are gone. I'm saying, surely he can bring your, hey, Pastor Simone, Tiff's married, not my kids, but if you've got a child that's wandered off, Jesus can bring them back home again. Surely Jesus can cause us to live victoriously again, Amen. You see, if, each, if Easter teaches us anything, specifically Resurrection Sunday, it's that, is that the God we serve does his best work when all hope seems lost. I don't know about you, but that's what I've experienced in my life. He does his best work. I mean, think about what happened with Peter. He wanted to go back to his old way of life after Jesus had died. But then he, got, he came to the realization that the Bible says in John chapter 12 and verse 24, except a kernel of wheat fall to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bringeth forth much fruit. God does his best work when your life seems hopeless. Talking about death and funerals, did you hear the one about Yum, Mike, and David? Meaning, Jan van Amadva, Mike Skitter, and David Cromer standing over their friend that passed away at a funeral. So Mike Skitter says to the other two guys, he says, hey boys, what would you like people to say if they were standing over your grave as we are standing over his right now? So David Cromer says, yes, I'd like to be remembered for more than just my red shoes. I'd love them to say he was a great musician, that I could sing, he had Africa in his heart. Jan van Amadva says, you know, I like to be remembered to be as a family man, someone who looked after my family, provided for my family. And then Jan says to Mike, Mike, what would you like them to say? He says, boys, that's easy. Look, he's moving. <laughs> sorry, I sorry, I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. <laughs> One of my favorite Easter scriptures is found in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, and this is what the Bible says. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now, allow me, allow me to paraphrase this. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in each and every one of us. So here's the paraphrase. The amount of of spirit and power in God that 
that it took to raise Jesus from the dead was never intended to just be a holiday for us to be able to say, wow, Jesus, that's awesome, good for you, you're alive again, no, but rather that the same power or spirit that raised Jesus from the dead really lives on the inside of each and every one of us. That same potential we have, and that's really what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday here today. And then he goes on to say in the B part of that verse, and just as God has raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies. You wanna put a circle around mortal there, mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Again, allow me just to paraphrase for a moment. And just, and just as or in the same way Easter happened, Christ Jesus can and will give life to everything mortal in all those areas of your life that were subject to death. Jesus can bring anything back to life again. What this means for us right here and now is simply this, that the resurrection of Jesus gives you and me the power to close the gap between the life we are living and the life we could live. Hence the title of my message, Close the Gap. Easter Sunday is the opportunity each and every one of us get to close the gap between the life that we are currently living and the one God wants us or the one we could live. What Jesus, through his resurrection from the dead on this Easter Sunday, is offering us is the power to close the gap between that, those, two, those two scenarios. Now, I've only got a few minutes this morning to convince you of that, and my goal of this service today is to get you simply to believe again. I just simply want you to get to the point where you believe again, specifically those of you that have perhaps just lost a little bit of your mojo. Because of circumstances where you find yourself, you've just lost a bit of something. You see, C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, Easter is death working backwards. Death working backwards. What this simply means is, what used to happen is we go from, or what still happens is we go from life to death. But Easter is a continual reminder that we can go from death back to life again. But I know what some of you are thinking, it can't be that easy, Pastor Andre, what's the catch? Really, what is the catch? Because I've heard it takes 50 steps to do this, 30 steps to do that, 20 steps to do this, 12 scriptures for that, 12 scriptures for this. I promise you, it's, it's actually so simple. You see, because more often than not, we think that God is requiring far more than he actually is. You may even think that the people that pulled it off in the Bible were someone extra special because they were apostles with great faith or because they, they walked with God more closely than you or I do. And you find it difficult to relate to them or the miracles that they experienced, but you so desperately want the same kind of experience with God that they wanted. Well, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, look at what the scripture says. Now, Paul over here was in a desperate, desperate place. He says, we don't want, we don't want you in the dark, which means we don't want you to be ignorant. He's speaking to us here 
I don't want you to be ignorant, friends, about how hard it was for us when all this came down on us in Asia, in the province of Asia. It was so bad, we didn't think we were going to make it. Now, another translation over there says, we despaired even unto life, which means that we're at the point of realizing and considering that we might get killed, so we may as well just kill ourselves. We despaired even of life. This is what Paul says. We felt like we'd been sent to death row, that it was all over for us. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could ever have happened instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea since he, look at this, since he is the God who raises the dead. So when Paul was in, his most, in the most desperate state and the time of his life, what was the thing that he simply reflected black on and what was his belief based upon? That God can raise the dead. That is what we celebrate today. That is what we need to believe again, that God raised the dead. Now, Paul and Abram had this in common because Romans 4, verses 17, tells us the following. This is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened, why? Because Abram believed in God. Believed in God to what extent? Believed that God is the one who brings the dead back to life again and who creates new things out of nothing. Abram wasn't trusting God to be raised from the dead, but he certainly was trusting for his body to be healed and for Sarah's dead womb to be healed. It was Abram's faith in God's ability to raise the dead back to life again, which is what we celebrate today, that ultimately, ultimately resulted in the healing of himself and Sarah's body. And ta-da, look where we find ourselves today. What did these two men have in common and what was their belief based upon? Not 25 steps to do this, 30 scriptures to do that. They just simply believe that God has the ability to raise the dead back to life back to life again. Now, I don't know where you find yourself, folks. Those of you watching online or in the venues, perhaps you've given up on something. And I know I've mentioned this before. Perhaps you've given up on something. Perhaps something has died and it's been dead so long you've even forgotten about it yourself. My prayer today is that the Lord would begin to stir, that God would begin to breathe a bit of life back onto that, especially if it's gonna bring him glory because God only resurrects those things that glorify him. God only resurrects those things that glorify Him. In life, in mortal bodies, in secular business, God only resurrects those things that bring Him glory. So where does this leave us, you may ask? What do I need to do for this process to be reversed, for things long since dead to be resurrected? It comes back to my deepest desire for the service this morning, and that is simply just to get you to the point where you believe again, where Jesus' resurrection is not something that happened 2,000 years ago that we just take time to remember today, but that Easter for us and every Resurrection Sunday would be an opportunity for us to come to church and say, Jesus, the power to raise dead things back to life is present here today. I bring these issues in my life that were dead as a result of disobedience where I missed you, whatever I did, I'm bringing them before your altar. Lord, and I'm asking you to do the same thing 
this Resurrection Sunday that you did for Jesus 2,000 years ago and bring it back to life again. I'm trusting that as I bring the lost into church on Resurrection Sunday, that they're gonna hear the gospel for the first time and they are gonna become born again believers, entering into this dimension of the spirit where God continually brings things back to life again. Can I get an amen? Praise the Lord. Now let's take a look at one more Let's take a look at one more story. Now, there are three stories that Jesus, sorry, that Jesus accounts for regarding people being raised back to life again. We know that there are many more, but only three that is made mention of in the gospel accounts. So we're going to take a look now at the most famous one, and I hope that I can shed some additional light into the story of Lazarus. So let's pick it up in John chapter 11 from verses 1 through 6. The Bible says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now we know that Jesus was very fond of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He was very fond of these people and often spent time in their home in Bethany. In verse 3, it says this, that so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I want you to notice there is a very powerful theological truth behind this simple sentence. Notice what Mary and Martha did not say. They didn't say, Jesus, the one who loves you is sick. Intimating that the one who is always first up in the morning to, pr to pray and read his Bible the one that's always first in the synagogue, the one that always does this. They weren't saying that the one who loves you is sick. They didn't say that. They said, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. And this is the first truth I want you to grasp and get today, specifically if you're in this situation, that God is not motivated to help you based on your love for him, but rather on his love for you. That's easier to remember when you first get saved because you know you've done nothing. You know he saved you. You've done nothing to deserve it. You come to God and you continually trust in his mercy. But hey, Pastor Johnny, the longer you spend time with the Lord, the more proud you become of what you've achieved through the grace of God. But you begin to wonder, listen, and your prayers take on maybe a different slant and saying, you know, God, I've been faithful. I've been tithing, me personally, since I was 14 years old. When you come before the Lord, you're thinking, listen, man, I'm, a, I'm just a little extra. God doesn't heal us. God doesn't move on our behalf because of our love for him. That's why she said, Lord, the one you love is sick. Point number four, when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, if you know the story of Lazarus, you know that Lazarus actually dies. So, I mean, what is Jesus, what is Jesus actually saying over here? Well, what, he, what he's meaning is this, is Lazarus may go through a whole bunch of things en route to his resurrection. He may go through a whole bunch of stuff. Things may seem to progressively get a whole lot worse. But guess what? His miracle may be delayed, but it will never, ever be denied. 
And the truth is that if God has not rescued you now yet or breathed life back into it yet, chances are God's trying to do something in you before God does something for you. Y'all, come on, you can do a little bit better than that. I need your help this morning. I need your help this morning. What Jesus is actually saying in the statement when he said that the sickness will not in death, he's saying, I'm gonna do something even greater than what you expect me to do. And the results of what I'm gonna do is gonna bring me far greater glory than if I had to snap my fingers and heal Lazarus while he's got a cold. Bit more serious than that, but you know what I mean. Now Jesus, <laughs> verse five, you know, God is so intentional in his word. In verse five, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Why would that be put in there? Why would the gospel writer even put that in there? Well, I believe it's because in the very next thing that happens, it's gonna seem like he doesn't. Jesus affirms his love for these three because the very next action, look at what it says in verse six. So when he had heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. He didn't rush off and solve the problem. You see, has anyone over here, like me, felt that Jesus has just delayed coming through for you? Just, you know, anybody else? Or is it just me? It's just like Jesus has delayed the coming through. Kind of like, come on, Jesus, uh, you only got a little bit of time left to pull this off. You either got to pull it off, you got to pull me out, or you got to push me through. But time is running, I check the clock, Jesus. They said they're going to repossess my house by this date. Lord, they said I've only got so much time left to live. Lord, check what they said. My daughter's been rejected from this college or this university. You're gonna have to move before the council or before they meet to, to prove whether they're gonna get in or not. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We try and bring God into our timeline and God actually doesn't care time. He doesn't, time doesn't bother him at all. He's outside of it. So has anyone ever become frustrated sometimes with how slow the Lord can be to react? Anybody? I mean, we won't admit it openly, but I can, imagine, how, imagine how frustrated God must be with us sometimes in how slow we are getting back to church after lockdown. How slow we are to get back to church. You know, I can't worship with a mask on, but I can go to the mall, because I promise you, I've seen so many people in the shopping malls, Pastor Johnny, Pastor Chris, that I've spoken to them, now I can't go to a mall, but I can't come to church because I just can't praise and worship with a mask on, but it's amazing they can do everything else, they can go to the, sh imagine, so we want to get frustrated with the Lord because he's not coming through on time, but here Alphonse, we must, he must be, I wish Oak would just move. <laughs> we should know enough to know that when the Lord does not fall in line with our expectations or timetable, that there's some things he needs to work inside of us first before he works on the thing that we think needs attention. So let's move on in John chapter 11, verses 11 through 16. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. This is about perspective over here, okay? Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. So in Jesus' eyes, regardless of how bad Mary and Martha thought it was, and all of his family, that the ship had passed, the ship had sailed, there was no hope, it was just a matter of perspective, Jesus' perspective, and Jesus' perspective will always be different to ours when he's in faith and we're not. It'll always be different. And then in verse 12, it says, for his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. <laughs> Just let him rest. So Jesus 
had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And you know, there's such a strong message in here as well, folks. We find the disciples trying to reason with Jesus based on their intellect. They took what Jesus said, falling asleep at face value. And how oftentimes have we not actually done that ourselves? We've got our scripture, but we've got a plan of exactly how God should bring this thing back again. Maybe it includes a loan at the bank. Maybe it includes approaching a friend for some money. Maybe it includes this. Maybe it includes that. Maybe, maybe, maybe. We've got our scripture, but we try and reason it through our intellect. And that will never work. So then actually Jesus told them plainly, hey guys, listen. If you don't understand my perspective, let me put it to you this way. Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, he goes on to say this. I'm glad I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. But let us go and be with him. So why on earth would Jesus be happy about this? Why would he be glad that he delayed the process? Why would he be glad that he didn't come through for your prayer when you thought he expected or you thought he would. Why would Jesus be glad about that? Because he says, ultimately, it's gonna result so that you may believe. You see, folks, and those of you watching online, this is the truth, that if things always worked out the way we planned, it would be, it would be serve, we would be serving an intellectual God that we can understand and seek to control. Moving on, verse 16, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. You don't need people like this in your life, by the way. <laughs> you, don't need, you don't need nihilists like this in your life, people that just see there's always an end. I mean, Jesus said the guy's gonna get better, you know, not Thomas. He hadn't fixed up since his last issue. He's just, you can see that the seeds of doubt, unbelief right here in Thomas. He says, oh, well, let's just go. He, think he's, he thinks he's being noble. These types of people are no good for you. Uh, you gotta choose your friends very carefully and you must, uh, you must disconnect from people like this. They, they will steal your dreams, they'll discourage you, when you step out, they'll criticize every step you take for growth and change. They're the kind of guys that says, listen, let's just go and let's just end it. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Now, why four days? You see, it's interesting because the Jews believed back then that you actually had to be dead for four days before you were really dead. You had to be dead four days, not three, because they believed that your spirit still hovered around and there could be a chance in the first three days of death that something could happen, but it was on the fourth day that you were truly dead. And we, and we can see why Jesus stayed behind and only came on the fourth day. Look what it says over here. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in their loss. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, well, before I get to that verse, so Jesus knew there would be a lot of Jews there and to prove that he is the resurrection and the life because if he had come and raised Lazarus earlier on, the Jews that were present would have believed, listen, this is exactly what we're talking about. A person needs to be dead four days to be dead. He wasn't really dead. He was just asleep like Thomas. Let me tell you, folks, when God delays coming through for you, there's always matters and issues that are gonna bring him glory that you know nothing about. 
that you know nothing about. There are people watching, there are people listening, there are people in your life that you don't even think are participating or have a contribution into your miracle. But when God comes through, you don't know the questions that they're asking, but Lord is doing it for his glory. So your miracle may be delayed, but it'll never be delayed. And I know it sounds cliche, folks, but it doesn't make it any less true. God is about to do something significant. It is Resurrection Sunday, and God's gonna do something amazing. Can someone say praise the Lord? And so in verse 20, it says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. You know, sometimes I feel like Mary. You didn't come through for me, so Lord, that's it. You just, but you find Martha's out there, right? She's the one out there. Mary knew Jesus was coming, but she was, I don't know. I don't know, I'm just maybe reading into this too much, but maybe Mary was just a little bit upset that Jesus hadn't come before Lazarus died. I don't know. And so in verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But look at this faith. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again, Martha. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So Martha agrees with Jesus, yeah, that there's a future resurrection coming where everyone is going to be resurrected. But Jesus is saying to Martha, no, Martha, not someday, today. Not someday, today. Stop hoping that it could happen and believe it is happening right here, right now. God can do something for you in this moment. And God helps Mary. And he says, listen, the day of waiting is past. And he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Let me tell you folks, Easter is not an occasion. It is a person. It's not an occasion. It is a person. And where Jesus is present, life is present. All you have to do is just believe. So, but how? How? And then the next verse is about to redefine Easter for you as it did for me. You see, resurrection is not an event. It's not a holiday. It's a person. And this is what Jesus says in verse 25, A and B. He mentions the word believe three times. I just want to get you to believe. Listen, I just want you to get you to, I want to get you to believe again this morning. Jesus says in verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, the next two verses reveal that it, what it takes to be able to draw upon God's resurrection power. Just like Jesus had to believe when he was cut off from God, there is beauty in the simplicity of this instruction. In this verse, 25, the word believe appears three times. Let's read the B part of this verse, 25. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. You see, Jesus over here is not saying, I need you to give more. I need you to pray more. I need you to do more. I just simply want you to believe. Is there anybody out there this morning that can just simply believe with me? Can you just believe that Jesus is the resurrection in their life? Now, there may be folks out there that you've just given up. Things haven't worked out the way you'd planned. Your hopes have been shattered. Everything you thought you knew and wanted has been dashed against the rocks. In verse 26, it says, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Look at it, it says, do you believe this? Folks, many years ago, in the year 2007, 2008, as a pastor in this church that knew the Bible as a dean of a Bible college, I found myself in the darkest place that I wouldn't wish upon anyone. 
It felt to me like I was on the edge of death, not physical death, but spiritual death. I was teetering on a cliff face that would see me forever cut off from God. And because I knew so, I knew so much about the Bible, I knew about faith, I knew about healing, there were certain things that were not illuminated to me. And that was that I did not believe God could exercise divine sovereignty over man's free will, that he was a free moral agent. And I felt like a wretch because I wanted something that God didn't want for me. And I knew as long as I wanted this thing, I was in deliberate disobedience and God could not rescue me. And I said to the father one day, I said, Lord, I'm in the darkest place. It's pitch black around me. I used these words. I said, I can't even see a ray of light. That's how dark it is around me. I'm on my way to hell. And then God gave me Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 10. And God said this. He said, Andre, if you're walking in darkness without a ray of light, just believe in the Lord and rely on your God. All I had was just the belief that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and He can revive what's dead in me, and He can revive what's dead in you. I'm telling you folks, Jesus can do it on this Resurrection Sunday. He can do it. Some years ago, my wife and I were riding in an area called Death Valley in uh, between, uh, between San Francisco and Las Vegas. It's the hottest place in Northern America. And I'm gonna ask them to bring up the picture. You're gonna see exactly what it looks like. Nothing lives in this place. My wife and I were driving through on a motorbike. In actual fact, there's been so many recorded deaths. People who have not stocked enough water making it through Death Valley whose cars have broken down and have died right there on the side of the road. That's how hot this place is. You can see nothing lives there. It is completely dead. It's ugly. It's barren. It's over. It's over. Perhaps your life right now, your circumstances and your situation is like that, just like mine was in 2007. You see that skull? That's exactly how I felt. That picture could not more perfectly describe the kind of hopelessness that consumed me. But something happened. You see, a rare event occurred in the December of 2004 due to shifting weather patterns that saw 18 centimeters of rainfall. Nothing happened straight away. However, by the spring of 2005, and I'm talking about Easter, coincidentally, by the spring of 2005, just four months later, take a look what happened and what that valley looked like. Just four months later, four months later, that is what it looked like. You see, what they didn't realize, what people didn't realize, what I didn't realize is that Death Valley wasn't dead. It was just dormant. <laughs> I hope you get this. It's not dead. It's just dormant. It always had potential because right beneath the surface of what looked ugly, what looked lifeless, and what looked over, there were seeds. And these seeds were just waiting for their resurrection day. Seeds were just waiting for their resurrection day. Hallelujah. How many of you can say, I've got a seed? Pastor Andre, I've got a seed. It's waiting for my resurrection day. All they needed was a moment. All those seeds needed was a moment created by an unexpected weather pattern to live again. And folks, I'm saying likewise today. Maybe that's what your situation looks like. It looks dead. It looks lifeless. It looks over. All your situations need is a moment. And God, 
God is creating that moment right now. All it needs is a moment and an environment of unexpected intervention with a downpour of God's Word. Just like the rain fell on Death Valley, I believe God's Word pouring down on, your, on you right now. It may not happen immediately, but I promise you now, your life is about to look like that. Can someone say hallelujah? Can someone say praise the Lord? You see, when the very resurrecting power of God is present and rains down on your situation, it causes things that are dead to come back to life again. Won't you stretch forth your hands to me right now as I pray for you. Father, right now, everyone within the sound of my voice, whether they're watching online or in our venues right now, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that the same resurrection power that was available when Jesus was raised from the dead, you've already told us in Romans 8, 11, that it lives within us. Father, just like in the spring of 2000, a spring of 2004, when that rain began to descend on Death Valley, I thank you for your rain that begins to fall on every single person right now, on every single situation, on every single circumstance. Father, I thank you as you spoke the words on the resurrection and the life, marriages are being breathed, life is being breathed back into marriages again in the name of Jesus. Those who are barren, your life is being breathed into those wombs and they are coming alive again in the name of Jesus. Those businesses that have suffered, that have suffered during COVID, Father, people that have been hanging on with their teeth and with their nails, Lord, I thank you for a fresh breath of life back into those businesses in the name of Jesus. For every believer, that is my prayer, Lord God. I speak it out. I prophesy prosperity. I prophesy healing. I prophesy abundance. I prophesy sane minds, hope, and peace in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Isn't God good? Come on, let's give God one more mighty hand of praise. Now, it's one thing to have your circumstances resurrected, but Jesus really came and died that you could be born again. So while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to ask you this question. Is your heart right with the Lord? Before anything gets raised to life again, let's make sure we are raised. Let's make sure we are born again. I'm not going to embarrass you. At the count of three, I simply want you to raise your hand in the air and say, Pastor Andre, I need Jesus. Please pray for me, whether you're online in the venues or here. At the count of three, I want to pray with each and every one of you. The mercy of the Lord is here. His power is present to heal. So at the count of three, raise your hands. One, two, three. Right now, raise your hand in the air. Say, Pastor Andre, I want to give my life to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. God bless you. I see those hands. God bless you. And even in the venues. Now, I want everybody, especially those of you that that raise your hands, let's pray this prayer together, but let's everybody pray this and say this, Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner, that I've missed your mark for my life. Forgive me, Lord. Lord Jesus, I know you are alive. I felt you today. I heard your word. I know you're alive. Come into my heart and save me. This Resurrection Sunday, I believe that you died for me. And after three days, you rose again. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I make you the Lord of my life. I promise to love you and to serve you until I see you face to face. Now here at CFC, we big on next steps. But before your host helps you with these next steps, I want to speak about tonight. 
Tonight, we've got a drive-through communion service. The last one was such a tremendous... Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Oh,